Welcome to episode number 82, The Balm of Gilead. I'm your host, Damon Soka. In ancient times, there was a curative balm from the area of Gilead in Israel. You know, it had various medicinal qualities and uses, including as a perfume. Now, the phrase balm of Gilead became synonymous with healing. Now, whether or not there was any healing powers, psychological or otherwise, is probably, it's actually really not of importance to my episode today. But the idea surrounding healing is. The word healing in the English language has come to represent a host of meanings and ideas. In many definitions, and even in our own experience, it has taken upon a mystical quality. Almost everyone understands that healing is a process of chemical forces and natural causes at work in our bodies. But our actual actual experience is more about an unseen force. We can't see the antibodies working or the painkiller slowing the communication in the nervous systems. What we feel and see outwardly just happens. Now, we might associate it with a pill or exercise or a priesthood blessing or repentance, perhaps. But in the end, the actual process is simply more nebulous and closeted to our minds, making the process of healing from an experience point of view more mystical. There is a kind of faith and a hope to almost all types of healing, even when that healing comes from a pill or a surgery. We certainly have greater faith in certain types of healing, depending upon our culture, our education, and our background. In the end, when we desire to be healed or desire healing, we desire the balm of Gilead to work its magic, and we are not always concerned with the how or why. Generally, when we discuss healing with one another, in between one another, we're talking about outcomes more than processes, meaning we rarely focus on the process of healing, and we concern ourselves with more the moment our life can be put back in order. We talk about removing a cast. We talk about a negative test. When we've stopped coughing or stopped limping. Most of the time, in our hurry-up societies, we really don't want a process. We want the outcome. We want that outcome to be easily obtained. We needn't be bothered by the process. We want to get back, get on with life as it once was. As we become afflicted with illness, we tend to turn to quicker processes first and then look to those that may have more effect, effort, and time, even if the ones that take time might be just a little more effective. For instance, taking a pill rather than adjusting our diet and exercise. The process to us is just something we have to endure to get to the sunny side of the mountain, like drinking that terrible cough medicine. We are often not very concerned about the process unless it involves significant pain, time, work, trouble, or interruptions to our lives. If process side effects exist, such as like dry mouth or fatigue or night sweats or pain, we might stop and think and really weigh them, weigh the consequences based on the illness and the outcome and whether we can live with the illness or just we must endure the side effects. Now, of course, because healing tends to be more mystical or unseen, there exists a host of good and not so good information sources about cures. The market for cures and healing is endless, and it contains bias problems, incorrect information, good and bad marketing, and a host of other influences on the mystical side of healing. It is strange in some ways that we tend to reach for cures offering easy fixes and quick healing, even if the information or source might be vague or even slightly questionable. We also tend to value a person's experience with a cure and how old the information is over something that is new to us. We also tend to believe what suits our culture, our beliefs, and our social leanings. 
So healing is often far more than just science. Healing for us as human beings seems to require belief, as in a sense of faith or religious belief. Now, this is true if the problem is a broken leg or a problem with mental illness, except that mental illness presents even a greater healing problem for a suffering person. Now, I can see the hairline crack on the x-ray or the high-level lipids on my triglyceride test. So in some sense, with physical illnesses, I'm going to have a definitive end to my healing. That x-ray or test is going to show my end. Mental illness does not have such a hard number test, and its origins for any one person may differ significantly. So when we talk about healing in the sense of mental illness, the world of healing and cures is often far more vague, the source is far more sketchy, the science way more subjective, and the, medic- and the medicine involves a lot more pra- practice than real application. And then, of course, there is the outcome itself. What does it even mean to be healed in the sense of a mental illness? Now, one might think that most of us have a pretty good grasp of the idea. However, I have found that's often far from the truth. Often the outcomes we expect and the one we look to obtain is far different than what can be expected and what can even be real. Can someone who has had clinical depression for decades ever really be fully healed and return to normal? Can a bipolar experienced person suddenly become healed without any residual impacts to life and learning? What does healing mean in the sense of mental illness? Does it mean all my symptoms have been removed? Does it mean all my symptoms have been removed and any residual problems that I may have encountered during my time frame been removed? Does it mean the symptoms, residual problems, and any skills I should have learned, but I didn't because of the illness, such as social awareness and interpersonal skills? Does it also mean healing of symptoms, residual problems, unlearned skills, and fixing all the relationships that I have? And can I add to all of that my spiritual healing, relearning how the Spirit talks to me, reworking my spiritual relationships? What should really be my expectation of healing? Now, when we start this process of healing, I don't think that we really take into account what it means to be healed from a mental illness. I think that for most of us, <clears throat> it's about symptoms. And I agree that symptoms healing is incredibly important. But as you can see from my questions, healing is so much more than one's symptoms. Mental illness is so much more than symptoms. It creates problems, difficulties, habits, and unlearned skills. It's about learning to function in a different reality. And that really can be hard. Much harder than one might think it to be. Now I hear you saying in the back of your minds, well, I'd like to try some of that difficult healing. Now I agree. Difficult healing is good if it leads somewhere better. But if you're not ready for the difficult, it can be bewildering and defeating to begin the process of healing and see that the road ahead is far longer and far more difficult than you might have expected. So what should someone expect from the healing process and the outcomes then? Let's start with the outcomes and the expectations. What should you expect from healing from an expectations point of view? Now, many of our expectations of healing come from media and others who have traveled the healing road. But for the most part, at least for me, I had no idea what to expect. I wanted my symptoms removed, and then I hadn't thought any further beyond that point. I had not thought about what it, mean, what it meant to have my symptoms removed, and then how I would transition my life from a significant mental illness to normal, whatever that normal would be for me. I failed to see the shift in realities that would occur, 
the changes in my relationships with my children and my wife, the changes and learned behaviors that I would now have to unlearn and learn, the spiritual changes that would need to occur, and the many other residual and secondary issues that followed. Removing the symptoms in some senses was actually the easy part of the process. For me, that occurred through a priesthood blessing. But what followed those blessings proved to be far more difficult. Now, I understand that my case is rare, so I'm going to pursue expectations in a little different format than my own personal experience. I'm going to talk about healing in the sense of good management of the symptoms, in which will be the case for most people. Now, let's start from the very beginning, the primary expectation. I think for most people, the primary purpose of seeking treatment is full removal of the symptoms. Now, I've never really met anyone who has sought treatment just to reduce the symptoms a little bit, but really wanted to keep most of the mental illness in their life. However, the truth is that for most people, the final outcome of healing will be some type of state between their current symptoms of mental illness and a full removal of those symptoms. And that state is probably going to vary from time to time throughout their life. So the first expectation someone should have of healing is that the healing process is not a journey with a destination and an end, meaning that the healing journey is likely to be more about the journey than any one particular end. Our expectations should be more about process management, not destination management. And that is going to be a philosophical change for many people. We also tend to expect that our feelings will return to a more normalized state, something akin to what we had before. In almost every case, that is not going to be the case. We are more likely to be in a quasi-emotional state with some minor symptoms remaining, with many of the major symptoms removed to a certain extent. It's also unlikely that we will ever say that we have reached a point of complete healing. Now that might sound discouraging at first, but if you approach it with a better understanding of the expectations, you're less likely to leave the road of progress, and you're actually also likely to be very much more happy or happier with that progress. Expectations should also be about returning to life activities, more than feeling completely whole, even if that means only returning to them partially. So our expectations should be more focused on the process and management of the illness rather than a full cure and return to what once was. This doesn't mean that, that the best you can hope for is just some minor improvement in your symptoms. Many people find that with good management techniques and correct expectations, they can reach a very fulfilling state of life. So what should you expect personally? That's really going to depend upon many things, including your management techniques, your willingness to alter or try new techniques to find the right ones for you, willingness to plan and then stick to a plan, your current life goals and what you like to do, what the illness has removed from your life, your ability to learn new skills, ability to adapt to changing conditions and willingness in the end, to laugh at oneself. And that's probably the most important. Taking everything in this process too seriously in the sense of trial and error can be detrimental to the entire process. To be able to laugh and say, well, that one didn't work very well, and to dust off and try again is actually one of the best things you can do. I will tell you, as you take this journey with the Lord, is that you're going to find that the process is going to be revealing, self-revealing, humbling, troubling, and altogether more celestializing than you will ever realize. What will your final management point be, your end goal? The end goal should be to regain many of life's activities you once enjoyed. Maybe not the same way or form, and you may not be able to function 
well, and to be able to function within society and the church without significant difficulties from your mental illness. Your expectations should be more about improvement, not removal of the symptoms. With good management, symptoms will tend to fade to points where they don't occur as often, but it is very likely that throughout your life you will continue to have symptoms from time to time. With mental illness, healing is far more about that process. Now, now, as I have said, we often think of the process as something we just have to endure. And while it is some mostly true from a more worldly perspective that the process is miserable and difficult and just something we have to endure, from the eternal perspective, the process is often more important than the healing itself. In fact, the Lord often gives us trials in life so that we can learn from the process of healing. The final outcome healing or removal of the trial itself teaches us very little about ourselves. But the process can provide such valuable experiences that the Lord will tailor the weakness to the individual so that he can tailor the healing experience. Now, I've just discussed expectations, and some of what I discussed revolved around kind of that expectations of process. But let's, let's really now talk about the process. Process is the means and methods of achieving our expectations. And they will matter more than the finished product. I often think of it this way. Nephi, Sam, Laman, and Lemuel passed through the exact same trying experiences together, meaning that most everything they experienced along the path of the process was identical, yet their outcomes were entirely different from one another. This is why process matters very much to the Lord and to you. You can pass through mental illness like Laman and Lemuel, kicking and screaming all the way as it were, or you can pass through the trial of mental illness like a Nephi and Sam and find meaning, personal development, spiritual development, and refinement, and in the end be what the Lord wanted, wanted or intended you to be. It is how you approach the process that's going to make that difference. And now before I get too far into this process, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Nephi was not entirely perfect, and Laman and Lemuel were not entirely evil. So just because some days you are kicking and screaming and other days you seem to have better a better outlook on your mental illness, don't think that a few days of kicking and screaming doom your progress and the entire process. Think that kicking and screaming are actually part of the learning process. We just need to progress beyond that particular, those particular base emotions. That is the first part of preparing for the process. Our perception of the illness needs to change from kicking and screaming to a learning process. And this takes time. We don't just wake up one day and say, I'm ready to see my illness as part of my progression. There are things that need to be in place before that change can really begin and develop. The first is a sure determination, or at least a great hope, that Father in Heaven and the Savior are involved. And not just watch, watching from a distant sideline, urging you on, but involved in every detail of this process. Now, this is what we refer to as faith in God. It is a personal sacred trust between us and our Father in heaven, and whatever occurs, that they will be part of the process. He will be part of the process. This sacred trust does not appear one day or if we just kneel and pray for it a few times. Certainly, prayer is important, and it's an important part of the process, and perhaps a large part. But we need to act in ways that demonstrate our faith and trust to be able to build that trust and faith. We do this by going forth and trying to do our best in keeping the do not commandments and the do commandments. Over time, our faith and trust will build and the process will move from kicking and screaming 
complaining process to the spiritual development process. Now, a secondary part of this process is the patience and work phase. And generally, this phase develops along with the faith and trust. We must do our part with medication, treatment, exercise, diet, to keep ourselves within appropriate parameters to manage our symptoms. We cannot and should not expect the Lord to help us if we refuse to help ourselves. This doesn't mean that we have to be perfect, but honestly trying to do our best and continuing to work to to work to manage our illness. Now the Lord can and does help us with this part of the process, but he expects honest effort, trial and error, and learning to occur. He expects us to think for ourselves, weigh the alternatives, talk to others who experience the same road, listen to experts, and truly use what we currently know and have in the world of science to treat the illness. Now, once we've tailored our expectations to managing our illness and begin to focus on the process, we are going to find that healing requires more than removal of symptoms. Remember all those questions I asked in the beginning of this episode? So in addition to reducing symptoms and developing our sacred trust in our Father and in the Savior, we are going to be required to learn new skills, adapt to changing conditions, think in new ways, work with our personal relationships, and really heal in all ways in our life. Now, my experience was enlightening to me, and since it's what I know, I'm going to share at least some parts of what I've learned. Now, my symptoms removal and healing occurred over a decade ago. I was healed by a priesthood blessing, at least... Let's say my symptoms were removed. Now I'm going to share one thing I distinctly remember from that blessing because it was important. And I'm going to paraphrase. I was told that just because the symptoms were removed, it didn't mean that I was healed. That much of the healing would occur after and that I would have to work to heal the remainder of my difficulties. I didn't think much of it at the time because I actually rejoiced with the removal of the symptoms. But it was not long before that part of the blessing became very important. The first thing I noticed was that my emotions were entirely different than they had ever been. I had been living with mental illness in a rock concert, and I was reduced to a quiet forest as far as my emotions were concerned. I had to relearn how to live within that new set of emotions and reality. The same will be true for almost everyone, although it may not happen uh, immediately, and it can be unnerving. This change of emotions, even though it is good, is one of the reasons Many individuals don't stick to medications. The quick change in emotional states causes really emotional distress. Now, I was lost for a short time within myself, even trying to understand this new me. The second thing that occurred is the immediate change to my relationships. For the most part, people do not change their emotional states drastically, and this is especially true when it comes to a new reality and mental illness. So they don't understand the shift at all. My wife and I had become accustomed to a certain relationship based on my previous emotional states, and this did require her to help me in many ways. My new reality instead of emotions, in my new reality instead of emotions, I didn't need the same type of help, or as much of it as I used to have in my newfound emotional state. And that newfound emotional independence actually, for a time, became a problem. Depressed people tend to be clingy, for the lack of a better word. And because of my depressions, I had been clingy in our relationship. And she had been actually become accustomed to this type of a relationship. This newfound independence did not need as much reassuring. And so it felt to her and I as though we were pulling away emotionally in the relationship. We both had to learn how to address the new emotions I was experiencing. 
Now, understand that many couples struggle when one partner has mental illness because the mental illness is tough on communication, on love, on service to one another, and on emotional connection, and on the idea that the one who suffers needs far more attention in the relationship than the other one. But once a couple has established norms within the marriage, significant deviations can cause significant problems in almost every area of the relationship. For the person without mental illness, it can be like living in a, with a completely different person when mental illness states change significantly. Now you might be thinking, isn't the changing for the better? Yes, it is for the better, for the person who is suffering. But for the stable person, the change is actually the problem and the adjustment to a new person. They might like that person more, but they don't always know how best to interact with them. And the change requires work and reworking of existing behaviors and expectations. One of the more difficult things about process will be the changing of relationships and the work that is necessary to keep them solid. The next part of healing, and perhaps part of the whole decade, was beginning to understand myself. I had to relearn everything about me in an entirely different state of emotions and mind. My likes, my dislikes changed. My feelings about my children and wife, my wife changed. My desires towards church and spiritual activities changed. While I remained Damon, and the facts and figures did not change, and everyone else did not change, emotionally and mentally, I did. When you suffer greatly from the effects of mental illness, you learn to deal with life in a particular way. And when those things are reduced or removed, you must relearn how to deal with life and all that comes with it over again. This includes past relationships where the mental illness may have had troubling effect or strains upon other people or situations. Mental illness creates a trail of history, and when the emotional state changes, we have a tendency to have to deal with our history without the benefit of remembering why we felt the way we did or even, even being able to remember the way we felt we did. This history also included my relationship with my Father in Heaven and the Savior, and one of the major points of healing was also to be healed spiritually, to see spiritual things in a new light and with a new perspective on life was actually at times very enjoyable, but also a struggle. So many times over the last de decade, I felt as though I was relearning things or learning things that I, have, that I should have learned long ago. I felt in many cases as though I was starting over. And for me, that was just difficult. And it was a difficult place in my mind at times. I admit for me that the last decade or so has been far more work and far more difficult than I ever anticipated at the time of that blessing. And I expect as you begin that process of healing or are in the process of it, you are going to find the same challenges I did. What I wanted most today to emphasize was that healing was and is a process, not a destination. And that process is more than just removal of symptoms. It is a healing of your life. Mental illness affects every part of our lives. And so in the process of healing, we are likely to find that healing extends to almost every area of our lives. Now, may you begin to find healing in your path. Until next week, do your part so that the Lord can do his.